0: Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is now funded by Patreon. Join to access our blog and unlock special bonuses like essays, reviews, show notes and other exclusive material. It's brand new and you can be a part of shaping the material we produce. If we reach $50 a month, we'll be able to start buying vintage Scooby-Doo novels to review in addition to our regular episodes. Thank you to Charlie Adams, David Green, Jordan Ferguson, Katie Maxwell, Kyle Michaud, Matthew Bang, and Pablo Corden for funding this episode.
1: Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts.
0: The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo Absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance.
1: I'm your host Amelia.
0: And I'm your host Billy.
1: And we're watching Abracadabra Do.
0: A chance to be a hero. Everybody wants a on- title you don't like abracadabra do out
1: of every magical incantation that you'd pull from i just feel like it's the laziest abracadabra is the full
0: <laughs> magic <laughs> that's,
1: statement that's well so it should have been Kadubra or what, what dooby doo
0: or abradooby would work wasn't wasn't already a title though? Probably.
1: I, why not reuse it for something good?
0: I mean, hey, it's, They
1: reused Scooby Dude, so.
0: They they re They reused WrestleManiacs. They reused um There's another one. Mine Mind Your Own Business got reused twice, didn't it? Which is weird, because that's a very specific title. It's something like that. There is like literally a Scooby-Doo Where Are You episode that got used twice. It wasn't Jeepers, It's the Creeper, was it?
1: No, there's lots of Jeeper titles. Yeah,
0: it's in, it's in the Jeepers family. Listen, listeners are shouting at their headphones right now, because they know exactly what episodes I'm talking about. But yeah.
1: Scooby-Pocus? would have even been better than abracadabra Do. Scooby-Pocus,
0: I feel like, is a stretch.
1: Well, so is Abracadabra-Doo. And,
0: and here's the thing. We're in an era now where every title is required to start with the words Scooby-Doo. So you can put that standard logo on it. So if you called it Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Pocus, you can get away with the double do, but not the double Scooby. Um, but... I mean, look at what we have here, Amelia.
1: A bad title.
0: A bad title, but a movie that substantially seems like a reboot for the entire franchise. This looks so different than any of the movies we've seen before. It feels like the last almost decade of direct-to-video movies have looked fairly identical. Um, but, But this is... Completely new animation style.
1: Well, Mystery Incorporated was in the works. (laughs) We're like a month from... Back in time, this was released fairly close to where the first episode of Mystery Incorporated was. So they already had that art style. But it almost seems like they didn't want to give away the show's art style. Right. So they just tweaked it.
0: Well, and you know what? Because
1: Mystery Incorporated's really cutesy with the mm-hmm. dot eyes and, like, the scrunched up faces and shit. But, like, here's a little more realistic. It's definitely in Mystery Incorporated's color palette.
0: I mean, it's, it's very much doing the thing that a lot of, like, modern animation does. Where where they just throw a shit ton of shadows in there. And that makes it cinematic. And, I mean, granted, it, it Scooby-Doo... Is, it's
1: also night right now, yeah, well, what I'm saying. in a parking it's lot. It's
0: substantially a horror series, so you want to bring that darkness into it a little bit more. The, the shadows work. I, I think it looks really good. And it's smart of them not to do it in the exact same style as Mystery Incorporated, because Mystery Incorporated, as a TV series, ends at one point. And, you know, it, it felt weird when we were already past uh, Shaggy and Scooby Get a Clue, And we were cutting back to movies that were in the What's New Scooby-Doo style. Yeah. It just felt like, hey, didn't we cancel that show?
1: It it was like, hey, remember when you liked (laughs) Scooby-Doo?
0: Yeah, that that was was more of a tease. Um, And this, I mean, we should say the gang are no longer in their What's New Scooby-Doo outfits. Very much back to a classic look.
1: Which, again, is what they're wearing in, in Mystery Incorporated as well. Yeah. They go back to the classic look, so.
0: I, I, think, I think it's been substantially classic from this point forwards. like going from here in 2009 to now 2019. This is this decade's art style. Which is, I mean, it's, it's, getting, it's getting very close, considering <laughs> I didn't think about that. But we are watching a movie that's in the art style of movies that are coming out now.
1: And your point is, Billy...
0: There's We're catching still up!
1: Three more television series to cover!
0: <laughs> yeah! We have
1: plenty of material. Stop getting fucking so sappy about it. I... When we reach an ending, we are ending! <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have like 700 plus episodes, and we are gonna end at some point!
0: I mean, we all die eventually. S- and sp- no, I was gonna say, and speaking of death. Casey Kasem, but no, he's not dead yet, and that also would be in very poor taste. But still, this is the first uh, movie to introduce Matthew Lillard in the role of animated Scooby Doo. Listeners will be aware he previously played Shaggy in the lot in the two first live-action movies.
1: Be upstaged quite expertly
0: by Nick Palatas.
1: <laughs> to be honest,
0: it. You know what, though? I'm okay with Matthew Lillard taking on this role because the big thing that I liked with Nick Pilatus is his physicality. He physically got Shaggy, absolutely.
1: And you know what? You know what I've always thought about Matthew Lillard's live-action Shaggy? Yeah. His hair is too thin. It's like yes. Shaggy is, is moments away from going
0: Well, Nick Pilatus plays Shaggy as a teen, Matthew Lillard plays Shaggy as a man. And you know, even that, you look at him in that second movie, and it's like, it's hard to hide the fact that Matthew Lillard is buff. Like, you look at Matthew Lillard, and he's improving himself day to day. But, (laughs) or at least at the time, I haven't seen a topless picture of Matthew Lillard recently.
1: But Shaggy... His very nature is to be shaggy, and you can't do that with scraggly hair. You'll oh, so, end up okay. looking like a, a, a swamp witch with straggly, stringy hair.
0: I see what you're See, I was on eight, like aging and manhood as a whole. No. You're on specifically the hair.
1: Yeah, Shaggy needs a good head of hair. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, in, in both of our arguments, animated Shaggy becomes a good fit for Lillard.
1: I didn't say that. <laughs> At first glance are cold open, who is this fucking thought that's going birdwatching with this dude? <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, who wears that outfit for birdwatching? Also, the dude she's trying to seduce, the birdwatcher, is not worth acting like this much of a thought over.
0: Look, this, this Rick Moranis-looking motherfucker... Clearly has something going on to attract this very 60s-inspired woman I'll call- I won't use the language you're using to describe her. That animated title sequence, a new feature for these direct-to-video movies. Do adorable we, as all hell!
1: Do we know for sure that they're sticking around?
0: I, I definitely remember- like before we started this podcast, we have watched a few of these newer movies, and I remember an opening title sequence—not in that style, but of a similar. Oh my God, what is this? This is adorable. It feels like an an area they can play around in a little bit. You know, all the opening title sequences we've seen in recent director videos have been like this sweeping epic. We're gonna pass you through hallways. We're gonna bring up titles in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> This one is, it's pure, stylized, very throwback, like it has a Saul Bass quality to it. It's like the Monsters, Inc. opening title sequence. With these little- Which
1: they had to include, because originally they weren't going to include that, and it was just going to open on uh, that child robot being scared to death and- Test audiences, obviously, (laughs) misunderstood the tone of the movie. So they were like,
0: fuck! "Fuck." Yeah. You You gotta ease kids into that.
1: It's just like how the MASH movie's a total bomb, because, like, the tone that's set immediately is not the tone that the overall movie is. I
0: feel like I've tried to watch the original MASH movie before, and I just... It's a
1: tonal disaster. I
0: don't vibe with it.
1: Tonal disaster.
0: So the series!
1: These cutesy moments have to be put in to to lighten the mood. Yeah. (laughs) Because we do open on that thought, and Rick Moranis getting attacked by a giant griffin. And in this new, more realistic art style, at the very least, shadowy art style, it could be construed as scary. Yeah,
0: so you got your kids on the couch, they're terrified, they're pissing themselves. (laughs)
1: And, and the- okay, well, you're raising some really pussy kids. They're pissing themselves over a griffin.
0: I, I'm just. I, okay, my, my kids have been raised to fear the griffin. That is the one thing I have instilled in them.
1: Yeah, that old Seaguire
0: curse. Yeah.
1: The griffin.
0: The griffin of Seaguire Cave. <laughs>
1: Well, I do believe that your family was born <laughs> in caves, so. <laughs> yes. That's
0: why my dad looks like the minor 49er.
1: What's the premise for this movie? Um,
0: I'm still not done this uh, cold open. I, <laughs> I, I, I just want to say it's interesting. This cold open functions also the way that the first live action movie was supposed to. Do you remember how that was supposed to have like a little animated oh, title it, sequence? It was supposed
1: to have a good, good opening Yeah. <laughs> instead of what we got?
0: But yeah, this one, uh, neato, I will say. And then and then I like how it transitions from that art style into our actual movie very smoothly, uh, with the gang doing something they've done in many direct videos, finishing up a case that is unrelated to the rest of the movie.
1: But more intriguing, I care more about a scary toxic waste monster in an industrial setting than I do about a griffin in a castle brought to America, brick by brick. Okay.
0: That is an old Scooby-Doo trope, and it's amazing they brought it back. It's but, I, but I agree with you. An
1: old trope in general. I'm so sick of it.
0: I absolutely do want to see the, the story of the chemical creep at the Karloff Chemical Company. The, the fact that it's Miss Thelmer underneath.
1: America, you can't have castles. Get over it.
0: Uh, Would would you like
1: to do the premise today, Amelia? If you have it pulled up, then sure. Just get this-
0: Started? Show on the road. You know what? We haven't been talking for as long as I thought, at least.
1: The gang go on a trip to check on Velma's younger sister, Madeline. She's been studying magic at the Whirlin Merlin's Academy of Magic, where apparently there has been some trouble. Sightings of a giant griffin have been scaring all the students away. The gang smells trouble and decide to investigate.
0: Well, you know what? It is Velma's sister that we're meeting in this story. So let's go to the Velma vision first.
1: Uh, As always, I have very little to say about Velma. Did you know Velma had a sister? I didn't know. And I think we'll never know again. This will be (laughs) the one appearance of Madeline.
0: It's always weird this late to learn of of such a direct relation as a sister. Yeah. Shaggy has a sister. We know all about his sister. Yeah. Little Googie.
1: No, Googie was his girlfriend.
0: Oh shit, you're right. Shuggy. Shuggy. We, We saw her get married and then we saw her be born. She 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 lived well, the Benjamin Button life. We
1: didn't see her get born. We saw her as a child. I don't need another fucking Scooby Doo episode. A reverse where,
0: Scrappy's birthday,
1: where we see someone in fucking stirrups giving birth. She was a dog. It was so awful. Oh, I'm weeping now. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. don't make me relive it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting. We are, we were meeting Velma's sister for the first time.
1: You know what? Who would be a weird sibling to meet? Like if Fred had a twin brother named oh Frank. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> yes. I was going to say older, but twin is so much better.
1: Fred and Frank.
0: Oh, that'd be adorable. Of course his twin... Oh, of course it would be Frank. I love that so much.
1: But that's not...
0: That's That didn't happen. It's
1: not canon. He is a van orphan who grew up in Tahoe.
0: Occasionally raised by Tim Conway.
1: Occasionally. <laughs> yes. so Velma yeah, what, and her sister.
0: Yeah, she... They do seem to have a good relationship, although Velma... <laughs> thinks her sister's a bit of a nerd.
1: Says she's a nerd, always overanalyzing every little thing.
0: This Velma has zero self-awareness of her own flaws. Family flaws. Where
1: do you think the younger sister learned it from, Velma?
0: I mean, at this point, I I just want to see their parents, because they clearly both got it from the same source.
1: We do hear from her parents. At the very least, her mother. Mm-hmm. She gets a call from her mother mid villain reveal. She has to like tag Fred to come in and finish up while she while she talks to her mother. She can't just be like Ma, I'll call you back in ten minutes. This is some strict parenting. If that parent needs a check in, <laughs> and will not accept any other time but now.
0: I don't. Know, I liked that for the realism of it, though. Like, you it, it, it. They were doing the big reveal, but she's like, Oh, I, I got, I got to take this. I'll be right over here. It, It was one of those moments that made the gang feel like people. So I like that she checks in with her mom.
1: But does she check in with her mom because it's a good relationship or because it's a strict relationship? Well, see, Because it can go either way.
0: You know, we're describing it as a check-in. It's really more of an update. It was Velma's mom updating Velma about her sister.
1: Why at this very moment, though? Why not just let that phone ring until you're done giving your exposition? Her,
0: her, her mom should know- Oh, you know what? It's 8pm. Velma's unmasking a villain.
1: <laughs> Velma should have her phone on silent. They were just running from a toxic waste ghoul. And you need to stay hidden.
0: It's her mom, though. She's gonna. I, I think that well, shows they have a good relationship. She, she's gonna pick up for her mom.
1: I wouldn't pick up for my mother, so...
0: You don't have as good a relationship as Velma and her mom.
1: No, I don't. Yeah. That's... It's a very fucked up relationship with everyone in my family. If that wasn't immediately obvious by the person that I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a Velma who, I, I feel like she gets very straight to business in this movie. Like, they're in that castle first night. She's in there with a flashlight into dark places. Investigating the basement, pricking her finger on iron maidens.
1: She doesn't prick her finger. It's a trick, iron maiden.
0: Oh, uh, she didn't know that. She could have pricked her finger.
1: She probably wouldn't have pressed hard enough to draw blood if the spikes were not yielding. She wouldn't be like, "Well, it just needs a bit more pressure to activate this trick." <laughs> Meanwhile, it's through her hand.
0: You're right. She probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs>
1: Maybe if she was coked out of her skull. (laughs) But I just don't see her doing coke.
0: I don't either. You know what I do see, though? An enduring trait of Velma's. Her amazing feats of strength. Because she is pulling on the weight machine to an amount that it breaks the weight machine.
1: A weight machine is in like they're in a gym at yeah. one point, and it's just one of the ones where you select what weight you want and then you pull it with your arms. Yeah.
0: And and she goes ham and she just like breaks the tensile strength of those wires. And like that makes sense. Velma has amazing upper body strength.
1: <laughs> well, when you're built like a brick yeah. shit house, you often do.
0: I wanna see one movie where she takes off that sweater. And she's wearing like a tank top underneath. Get- and she's she's just fucking like that same build. Same very Dorito-esque build. All right. I'm making You're doing arms. the flexing,
1: but I don't yeah. see any muscles, so. I'm
0: not Velma. It's
1: a bit of a moot point, I feel. One of the clues that they find, well, I don't even know if it's a clue at this point. They just find an old photo album. And it includes the drab a housekeeper that runs this castle, and a a man makes ice cream nowadays, Mm -hmm. and they're, like, cuddling and and cutesy, obviously a couple, and she, like, shudders, and she's like, ew, gross. Bitch, who are you to judge? Right? Who are you locking down that's so much hotter than this guy? Jeffrey Tambor's character. And, like,
0: (sighs) I get that The housekeeper is supposed to be that sort of, like, larger housekeeper woman, where, like, oh, she should die alone.
1: Yeah, think but of think of Helga from the Jekyll and Hyde episode of Where Are You?
0: Yes, that's a very good comparison.
1: Where it's just a fucking block of a woman, very tall, stern, not drawn pretty. You know who else is block-shaped and stern and not drawn pretty? name starts with a v <laughs> I just feel like we continue on with this trend of ingrained misogyny within Velma it's very upsetting to see she shouldn't be putting down her fellow woman
0: yeah i agree that should have been shaggy being like and then velma hitting him
1: daphne will mock your clothing but that's across genders so that's she'll even diss herself
0: she'll she'll diss <laughs> the design of a room at first glance should we move on to Daphne or did we have more to say about Velma
1: I have nothing else to say about Velma
0: I, I have one note where she she mocks Scooby-Doo because Scooby says it's reapy, and Velma says it gets reapier.
1: I don't think that's an, a mock
0: What well, what would you classify it as It's a, it's an endearing kind of mock
1: it mock implies a meanness to it. And, and no I agree. No your tone.
0: Okay, I agree. There's there's very little meanness to it. A tease. It's a tease, not a taunt. Uh, well, talking about Daphne, just because it's on our screen right now, there is a scene in this movie between Daphne and Velma, where Velma is uh, in investigating in the basement. She comes across Daphne in the gym. Uh, working on her, like, her ballet, her...
1: Yeah, she's just ballet yeah. all of a sudden.
0: It is a great little scene of Velma and Daphne talking honestly. Nothing about the mystery. And yes, unfortunately, about how Daphne wants to impress a boy so it doesn't exactly pass the Bechdel test, but a nice scene of them being friends. It's not functional for how are we going to solve the mystery of Abracadabra Doo? it's just a nice scene of friends being there for each other
1: and she looks fine as hell in her leotard
0: Daphne looks great <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's practicing ballet because this movie this reboot is really emphasizing the fact that she is danger prone Daphne she is clumsy she is often falling down
1: She also, just to bring it up there, she does have a bit of internalized misogyny herself. She joins Velma in mocking the housekeeper's appearance. Yes,
0: yes. The movie itself has a bit of a a misogyny problem there. But uh, what do you you think of the return to emphasis on danger-prone Daphne? Like, this is not a Daphne who's winning martial arts tournaments.
1: Which is a shame. I think I prefer... Ass-kicking Daphne? No, I definitely prefer ass-kicking Daphne, whether or not she does that with karate or sass. But, I don't know, I feel like danger-prone It's not really a characteristic.
0: But how how she it's responds a- to it is a characteristic. How she feels about herself because she's danger-prone. Like, you, you could say maybe this is just earlier in her development, and that uh, ass-kicking Daphne developed because... She originally started so danger prone and she wanted to improve herself. This is a Daphne at the beginning of that journey. Okay. This movie is also sort of emphasizing Daphne as performer. Because we see that Fred is really into magician sidekicks.
1: Is it the magician sidekick that he's into or just the black girl who's (laughs) pretty? (laughs) is
0: is it just the fact that that is an attractive lady that he's like hello
1: is it because she's pretty or is it because she's this is your card to him which you know what I almost feel like maybe Fred's dumb enough to be like she's literally magic (laughs) (laughs) I'm very attracted to women that are magical
0: (laughs) it, it could be that and that's why you know Daphne's really going forward and trying to become that but I would say she already has a ton of performer's instincts. Daphne is like a comedy genius here, even as she is failing at her comedy. I like at her magic. I don't think she's failing at it. I think she's doing it as a bit of a routine.
1: Yeah, she, um, where did I write it down? The trick is called the zombie ball, if that doesn't ring true. It's the one where you hold up a handkerchief and then a ball, like, rolls along the surface without... Like, your hands are there and the ball just does its own thing. It's mime! (laughs) And, uh... she, She loses control of it. Like, she can't control it. The ball is the leader of that act. And I think as far as, like, a cute, legitimate spin on a magic act works that's great the magician who's bumbling but still does the tricks really well
0: that's part of it you're because your audience is like that that's that's your sleight of hand by making them laugh by making them pay attention to you pulling faces that's that's been hand in hand with magic acts for years i'm I'm thinking of a, a specific british magician i can't bring his name to mind.
1: Okay, well then don't say it like it's been omnipresent in all magicians. Because well, the last time I checked, Chris Angel takes himself very fucking seriously. As does. does everyone else in the magical community. He
0: does. Well, this British magician, he he was very much like a, a comedy magician. And fun fact about him, he died on stage. And it got huge applause. Cause the, it we're was,
1: free. No, no.
0: Because right? <laughs> it was just—it's like part of the show. It's funny. Oh my God! Look at you. That's great. And then it was like, no, the man—the man has died. But how great would that be? At your dying breaths, roaring applause. It's the perfect way to go. I, I'm glad Vel- uh, Daphne didn't die in this, but. <laughs>
1: um. We skipped right to like mid-movie Daphne. I want to talk about Daphne we see right after they catch that toxic waste ghoul. She is all up in Fred's space.
0: Yeah. She's
1: got her arm around his back, hand on his chest. Yes. She is just like right up on him if she could have put her legs around his waist and just clung to him she would have
0: in in the what's new era i would say you know romance was there in in some winks and nods but
1: she's just going for it now Yeah.
0: kids are gonna start making out in this there's like this is there's sexuality in my scooby-doo
1: I don't know if I'd go so far as to say a hand on the chest is sexuality. Well? Your sexuality is a hand resting on your chest? Rest
0: your hand on my chest right now.
1: No. Because that's not my sexuality. My sexuality is to deny you at every turn.
0: Well, I, I, I I would go on, but that would be uncomfortable for the listeners. We are not as sexually charged as Abracadabra do.
1: All I'm saying is that Daphne's going to go for it. Whether Fred's aware of it or not.
0: And The boy's
1: <laughs> pants will be off before he has any idea that what's happening.
0: That's as good a transition to Fred as I can think of. Here's the Frank, Fred factor. Frank
1: Welker gets
0: top billing. Yeah. Well deserved. I mean, was it, was it just because Casey Kasem had top billing before? Did
1: Casey Kasem have top billing?
0: I feel like he might have. I
1: don't know. I usually don't pay that much attention, but it made it really obvious in the opening that credits were happening. Yeah. And Frank Welker's name is the first one, and it's not alphabetical by last or first name. No. Because then, then Gray would have been before Frank. Or everyone would have Daph- been before Frank if, if it was last name. And
0: if it was by character, Daphne would definitely be first.
1: Point is, my boy. Yeah. Deserves top billing. I mean, he should.
0: Hey, let's face it. It's called Scooby-Doo. Abracadabra-doo. Frank Welker's playing the title role.
1: As he always does. Yeah. Since everything now is titled Scooby-Doo colon something stupid.
0: (laughs) Well, you'll notice it's it's actually Scooby-Doo exclamation.
1: Well, it should be a colon if we're going for proper (laughs) grammar. Of which we're not. No, we're going,
0: we're going for animated children's films. <laughs> they don't, they're not old enough to know of colons yet. But... <laughs> um, so Fred has installed yet another GPS on the mystery machine. Yeah. And boy, is this one an asshole.
1: It is played by, uh, I looked it up. David Attell? Is the first name David?
0: I know um, the last
1: name was definitely Attell.
0: Dave Attell. He's uh he's a comedian.
1: He's he's sassy. Uh, uh constant abuse. Fred is just so all about abuse like I swear the boy <laughs> is just begging for a dom to come along and yes. step on him <laughs> like. Yes. Fred was made to say yes mistress and I'm so all about that.
0: <laughs> Look, if if he had a dominant woman voicing that GPS Like, you know I'd be equally as about it. But just because, I don't know, Dave Attell, I just, I want to tell the mystery machine to fuck off.
1: Yeah, no, it does come off as just condescending.
0: It's, it feels like, you know, Fred's that kind of guy who you really like him, like, he's a great guy, and then you get into his car, and he's got, like, Fox News on, and you're like, what?!
1: Yeah, let's not put on our boy Fred that he would listen to Fox News. I believe that he would earnestly laugh at Dane Cook.
0: Yes. Not that
1: he wants Latinos and black people to be exterminated from you know, America. He
0: doesn't even want that. He just listens to it not questioning it, because he's from Middle America.
1: <laughs> he's not he's
0: who he grew up with. He's a
1: Cali kid. <laughs> he's very liberal. <laughs> These are the things I will not budge on in my headcanon.
0: Um, no, you're right. He's very, he's very liberal. He's very classic. You know what's back? The ascot. Except for one scene where the magician takes his ascot and makes it disappear. And Fred is very upset in that scene.
1: He is very upset. He only packed one. It was his one ascot. He's also tired of people calling it a scarf. It's the scarf magic trick. It's not the ascot magic trick. Once again, Fred's sexuality has been (laughs) undefined.
0: He likes to be choked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's, It's funny to me that, you know, Fred doesn't always wear an ascot. But when he does wear an ascot, he really wears an ascot.
1: It's something you have to commit to. Like cowboy boots. You can't go half-hearted on cowboy boots. You have to be 100%. I am wearing cowboy boots. That is my luck. Now, this is mostly a a shaggy and scooby note. But also, it does pertain to Fred. They're at the dining hall, and they're each magically uh, given their favorite foods. Yes. And you find out that Scooby's is uh, Scooby Snacks and Cherry Sauce and Whipped Cream presented like a Like a cake. Like a cake, yeah. Shaggy's is extra cheesy cheese pizza with a side of pickles. Fred has a plate of what I think is spaghetti in red sauce. And I feel like you don't get a lot of little details about Fred like that.
0: You're right, you don't.
1: That he likes spaghetti. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I was looking really quickly to see if I had any notes on Fred in food. (laughs) But the only ones I have that come close are three notes here that say... Fred is thirsty. And <laughs> that I,
1: is not for food. Nope,
0: that was a different kind of note.
1: Um He is he is a very thirsty boy this movie. He's all over the uh magician's assistant Bristol. In, in her little her little sixties uh dress and yeah. she's got big hoop earrings. And uh he's all over her, and then when Daphne does magic, he's all over Daphne. <laughs> We need to get this boy laid. (laughs) Actually, that brings you said that she was wearing a 60s inspired outfit. He's also all over the banshee, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's just like, wow, she's almost pretty. And then.
0: (laughs) That's fun. You kind of You reminded me of a point I wanted to make in that, you know, the gang are back in their classic 60s outfits in this movie. And previously, when we've seen that, they've stood out a lot. And Scooby-Doo has wrestled with this, you know. How do we make these very 60s characters fit in with the modern world? And for a while we had, well, let's put them in modern clothes. This movie tries something different, which is keep it in the modern world, but everybody wears 60s-inspired clothes. It's, It's the world as it is today, if fashion never moved past the 60s. And I think that's a very clever way to keep the Scooby gang fitting with everybody else.
1: I feel like the gang isn't even that 60s in comparison to people like Crystal and Madeline. Yeah. Like, Madeline's wearing, like, a fucking ruff and shit. Like, everyone's got long sleeves but short skirts. That was a very 60s look. But, like, if you look at the gang, you're like, he's in pants and a t-shirt. What's innately 60s about that?
0: Just ask the hippies. While they're on the island with the banshee, Fred says something I never thought I'd hear him say. We'd better stick together, gang. It goes by unremarked upon, but I thought it was so clever (laughs) for someone to be like, you know what? He's usually telling them to split up. Let's say they stick together instead.
1: And it plays out pretty well. He then falls into a hole. A super deep hole, like a hole so deep, you're like, holy crap, how are you not dead? It's at least four stories down
0: (laughs) (laughs) to a, a cobblestone paved area. And unlike previous times he's fallen, he also has no flower to land on. That was his saving grace previously.
1: Well, that and when he fell in that flower... It was like a half a foot. Right. It's not four stories.
0: What happened that time he got stuck on a hook? He was... Was he hoisted?
1: He was hoisted, yes, because it was like an airplane mechanical hanger. Right. So he got hoisted by his belt and then he just dangled there like a side of beef to quote (laughs) Fred himself.
0: Uh, (coughs) Daphne repeatedly calls Freddy scarf boy and
1: because he's insulted everyone always says it's a scarf yeah and then he gets the hots for crystal and she's upset so he's scarf boy now
0: that uh, that's very accurate for gray's daphne gray's daphne comes with that bit of sass she's she's gonna she's gonna taunt fred just a little bit
1: she knows fred likes it he wants to be stepped on, is what we I... the main lesson we've learned here.
0: That's the takeaway.
1: Uh he also wants to watch fireworks. At one point. Who doesn't? They're in the van, running from the griffin. They're throwing fireworks special effects at it to try and get it off their tail. Fred is looking at the fireworks. He's the one driving the fucking oh, van. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the road.
0: Yeah, I I have keep your eyes on the road in all caps. <laughs> Followed quickly by, Fred packs a bag of magic tricks to fight the Griffin in the Griffin's roost.
1: Saying that they're the only weapons they have.
0: They're not really weapons. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe grab an axe.
1: A pitchfork, I saw you had earlier.
0: Scrap of wood could work as a club. Weird. A
1: gun, this is America, dammit.
0: <laughs> this is not the action man, Fred, though. I I
1: would say it is the action man, Fred. Uh, Amelia's gonna get real thirsty here for a second. When Daphne falls in the dragon's roost, they're going up a tower. It's got stairs around the outside. One that she steps on sinks, and she falls, and Fred grabs her. Grabs her by one hand, dangling over this pit. He's not even breaking a sweat. No. Hot damn.
0: (laughs) Get you a man who can do that. I was going to say, get you a man who can do both, but we'd only mentioned one thing.
1: We've also mentioned ascots.
0: Okay.
1: So get well. you a man who can pull off an ascot, and also hold on to your hand while you dangle over a precipice and not break a sweat.
0: And when you find such a man, you can contact Amelia at
1: Amelia. <laughs> <stable and> you-
0: <laughs> so, moving on to the Shaggy and Scooby shenanigans, how do you find... Matthew Lillard's Shaggy differs from Casey Kasem's?
1: Uh, well, in the last few years, Casey Kasem's just sounded like an old man, Mm -hmm. and now Matthew Lillard just sounds like a regular man, I guess.
0: (laughs) So they brought the youth back to it.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: I found that um, Casey Kasem's Shaggy was, you know, they were always trying to make him a bit younger and hipper because he was an old man whereas i'm really noticing with lillard's shaggy they're giving him more 60s slang to say he says things like i've heard that rap before how's that a 60s that's that's very 60s rap as in talking that's beatnik slang there were there were others um i i didn't that, that was the only quote well when he says like you shall not pass man
1: He's always said like a man.
0: He has. Uh, I don't know if I'm really making my argument strongly here.
1: I don't think you are.
0: Damn. But I, my, my argument, if any of you would like to hear it, is is just that because he is younger, they can reach back a little farther without, I don't know, ali- alienating the, the audience of thinking, oh, this old man is saying the slang from his day. Gets to be a little more cute.
1: Uh, My first note for Shaggy is the opposite of cute. He's eating Scooby snacks at one point. Just like the fucking disgusting pig he is. It's all stuck in his teeth. He's talking with his mouth full. His cheeks are crammed with unswallowed slop. Right. And like, I fuck, we get it. All right, you like to (laughs) eat. Does he have to eat like a disgusting pig every time he eats just because he likes to do it?
0: I mean, you gotta you gotta slam three ice cream cones into your mouth when you have a chance. <laughs> um, on the topic of food, you know, you briefly mentioned his favorite food before: uh, extra cheesy cheese pizza with a side of pickles. I'm happy to see that Shaggy is remaining a vegetarian under Matthew Lillard.
1: He's later seen carrying corn dogs.
0: We do not know what's under the batter. Could be more pickles.
1: Guess, but mustard on a. Deep-fried pickle seems even worse than just a deep-fried pickle.
0: It, it does seem like it would be very tart overall. Deep-fried pickle doesn't need anything. It's great on its own.
1: Well, you and I are going to talk about that
0: later. <laughs> um, this is also a, a bit of Shaggy as a romantic lead. Because Velma's sister Madeline wants to bone Shaggy very obviously. She is, like, all about it. And he... Uh, I feel like he uh, he knows that. He observes it, but it's like... But that's Velma's sister. So he's like, okay, uh, no. But still willing, you know, to, to be that man.
1: Maybe. Even he's not... Re- he's not going after her because she's Velma's sister, maybe. Madeline just isn't his type. We've seen him... With with Googie, this 60s boy needs an eighties girl, <laughs> <laughs> not another sixties girl.
0: Or, I mean, Crystal from Alien Invaders. Though so you could argue she was almost more of a seventies hippie.
1: I would I would almost argue that he was a nineties boy going after a sixties girl because there wasn't really anything hippie ish about Shaggy in that movie outside mm-hmm. of his like. Uh, acid trip that he has when he's imagining his future after marrying Crystal and shit.
0: I, um... I don't know, I...
1: The point is, why does Shaggy get so much pussy? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> when I mean, Fred's available.
0: <laughs> I don't know, I mean, th- this Shag- Shaggy's a beast in this movie. You get You get almost a whole, like, anime sequence when he's throwing smoke bombs <laughs> and twisting around. Like, no wonder those memes were happening uh, last year with Shaggy.
1: Last year?
0: Oh my god, don't tell me that was this year.
1: <laughs> that was this year! How
0: long has this year been?
1: This year has been a decade.
0: Oh my god, I could have sworn that was last year.
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listeners,
0: if you could see my face right now.
1: <laughs> Shaggy uses the word tummy. At one point.
0: Yep. What's he talking about? With with, with, he doesn't have to be using cool slang all the time now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stomach is not cool slang.
0: But tummy is like reverse cool slang.
1: Tummy is the worst. He should. He's a grown man. He should be using the proper name, the tum tum. Actually, fun fact, did you know that the word tummy didn't appear in the English language until the 1865?
0: Who invented it?
1: Uh, Victorians? <laughs>
0: okay, I, th- I, I thought you'd have a specific one. No, it, it... I, If you had told me, like, the word tummy first appeared in Winnie the Pooh or something like that, I'd be like, of course it did. That wouldn't have been in the 1800s because Winnie the Pooh is named after a World War I bear, but- I probably still would have accepted it because I didn't think about it too hard.
1: No, it's the, it's the kind of slang that was born of, like, uh, how Buffy is short for Elizabeth. Right. Because saying Beth would come out as buff if you're, like, a child.
0: Okay, where does, where does tummy come? Tumach? Yeah. Weird. Talk about your tummy shaky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand those giant puppets, and I have to say that I don't, ha- I don't understand them either. There's just a room filled with, like, backstage rage giant puppets. Yes. And he thinks they're for Halloween.
0: They're at a performing arts school.
1: They are at a performing arts (laughs) school. At the same time, who performs with giant man-sized puppets? I just don't get it. The joy of a puppet comes from seeing it in the shape of Grover. And that is the only (laughs) joy you get
0: from a puppet. I I could see puppets like that if this were, like, a Cirque du Soleil. Magic show? I could see Cirque using puppets like that, certainly. But they also don't tend to do magic tricks.
1: There's just something so unmagical about puppets. You know a puppet is always controlled by a man.
0: (laughs) Yes, I agree with you on that. I, I, I wonder if I could figure out the way to phrase it, but... They're very ideologically different, you're correct.
1: The things you can use in magic... Puppets are, are no. It's a big no on the puppet. <laughs> you... you can in use ma- a fucking in magic... laser pointer in magic, but you can't use a puppet.
0: In magic, you want the audience to see things that are impossible and believe them. Whereas in puppets, you want the audience to see things that are possible and... And see the artifice of it, not believe them. Like, is that is that the what's the joy of a puppet? Is it to see how it works at all times? It's
1: to hold a mirror up to humanity, and say, what is the difference between you and this bear with a magenta nose?
0: Jim Henson's Black Mirror.
1: <laughs> what of Jim Henson, but more, is a terrifying thought because you just get the dark crystal. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a bad movie.
0: <laughs> uh, I like how, like, for the latter quarter of this movie, Shaggy is just in a suit of armor. Because he he is going to be a brave knight. Mm-hmm. But he's still terrified.
1: Uh, Madeline says that he's brave over and over again. Scooby gets a good hearty laugh out of that constantly. Mm-hmm. Shaggy is legitimately shocked to find out that he's a coward. That he's perceived as a coward. <laughs> Uh, He also goes on, in his bravery, to desecrate a man's skeleton. Yes! Haven't seen this from, Haven't uh, seen a
0: skeleton in a while.
1: When did they fall into that grave? Was that the New Orleans episode in What's New? They end up in one of the above-ground graves... Yes. ...thrashing around with a skeleton, and Velma just reaches in and takes his head, Yorick-style...
0: I mean, there was also that episode of What's New, where they found, where they just laid with Lennon for a while. Um, I like when uh, Shaggy, at one point, he's trying to do magic with a staff, and he yells out, "By the powers of Houdini, the Wizard of Oz, and that British kid with glasses."
1: That he knows Houdini's name, but not Harry Potter's.
0: No. It's. it's... This is
1: also W. B. You own Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> if you go name on Wikipedia. <laughs> It references the fact, it, it says, this is a reference to uh, Houdini, the Wizard of Oz, and Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I, c- I could probably understand the first two references. Also. <laughs> you just capitalize them differently.
1: I don't consider escape artists magicians either. Oh, look, Houdini. They're within the realm. Houdini can wrench his arm out of his arm socket to get out of a straitjacket. That's not magical.
0: It's, it's all, horrifying. It's all in the presentation. I haven't talked much about Scooby in this movie. Scooby keeps trying to be friends with a lion and is continuously rebuffed. He just keeps going up to a lion and going like, hello. And the lion roars in his face and Scooby slinks away. And it happens, I think, three times in this movie and it's a fabulous running gag.
1: I think this just goes to show Scooby. That you can't have your cake and eat it too. He can't chase the smaller cats of Zombie Island and then expect to be friends with the bigger cats of Abracadabra do. I,
0: I was, I was wondering how he would react to the lion as a cat, but he didn't seem to acknowledge that at all. But maybe the lion knew.
1: You can't have your cake and eat it too, Scooby.
0: Cake? Where? And, uh, does this lead us into the minor mention portion of the podcast?
1: I have one more note for Shaggy, despite this- Oh god, this podcast is really dragging on. This might be our longest one to date. But my one last note for him is that he's, he's shamed into saving Madeline. Not because she likes him. Uh, not because she needs help or anything reasonable like that. He- he is just shamed into doing it. Right. Yeah. Like, he's, like, pity-dating her,
0: but I don't in the know. form have...
1: of a rescue.
0: They have a complicated relationship, and I feel like I'm still grappling with who this version of Shaggy is. Like, this is the beginning of at least a ten-year journey here. Who is Matthew Lillard's Shaggy? That's a question I'll be thinking about for a while. Here, I'm leaning towards romantic hero. You're
1: leaning in the wrong direction, I think.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll catch you on part two of our.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> if I have to record for this long, you have to listen eight for this part long. Part
0: series on Scooby Doo. <laughs> Minor mentions. Do, <laughs>
1: do you have anything to say about the Birdwatcher Sherman and his 60s thought <laughs> that we haven't already said?
0: Um, no. I, I think we talked. I feel like we talked about them for 20 minutes at the start. So let's pass by those characters and move straight to Groundskeeper Amos.
1: Shouldn't we start with Madeline?
0: I think we saw Amos first, just in passing. Okay. Amos is definitely shady. We see him making secret phone calls before anything is revealed.
1: He's John DiMaggio. He's shown to not really be doing any real crime. But he is an admitted peeper. He just proudly proclaims, like, yep, I enjoy peeping, and I keep doing it. <laughs> Meddling kids be damned.
0: He should not work at a school with children.
1: <laughs> he should not.
0: Very large man, though. Physically imposing. Bit of a hunch. Pitchfork enthusiast. But yeah, um, probably the biggest minor mention is Madeline... Dinkley. Dinkley. I was, I not I was debating whether I should restart that sentence or not. <laughs> she is a former clown college student, currently enrolled in this, uh, they say it's a magic school, but it's a school for the performing arts of magic.
1: It's a stage magician school. Yeah. And this doesn't sound like it should be a school. This is a week-long summer camp at most. I'm
0: okay with it being a school. They're performing arts schools, it fits.
1: For stage magicians? It just seems weird. And that they're doing it in a castle brought from Ireland brick by brick. This is this castle's main income is teaching people stage (laughs) magic.
0: Admittedly, they have a, a large assortment of classes. We see the gang taking some for some reason. Madeline's very enthusiastic, uh, a total fangirl about anything she becomes passionate about. She does not know how to not fuck with shrines and artifacts. You do not fuck with shrines and artifacts! Especially in a castle that has been brought brick by brick from Europe.
1: Oh please, you could say the same thing about Velma. If you sat Velma down in Ooh. front of the Necronomicon, she's reading that shit out loud, and you know it. <laughs>
0: there, she's very similar to Velma. We get a scene where the gang is gathered around a book in a library, and it's staged in the way that if they all just looked at the camera suddenly... it Where Are You vibes are strong. Um, I also just wanted to check who played Madeline. Uh, Danica McKellar. While I was listening, I could, I could have sworn that Gray was doubling as uh, Madeline. But no, Danica McKellar, uh, voice actress, author, mathematician, and education advocate. That is, that is a lovely resume. But I'm...
1: only education of stage magicians?
0: <laughs> it doesn't say. Or... <laughs> it doesn't say uh, in her Scoobypedia article <laughs> whether or not she, she teaches and is passionate about the education <laughs> of... Stage magicians.
1: Well, then we'll just move on to the owner of this school, Whirlin Merlin and his assistant, Crystal. I lumped them together because they're not seen apart for this whole movie.
0: Whirlin Merlin reminds me so much of uh, Ben Stiller's character on Arrested Development, Tony Wonder. Like, just, just the epitome of a stage magician. I expected him to be like, did somebody say Merlin? And then just, like, float on down. Long blonde hair. <laughs> Gorgeous man.
1: He, I did write down bad name, but sexy man. His assistant, Crystal, is apparently scantily clad. Enough for Daphne to make a comment about it. Daphne's
0: skirt is way shorter than hers.
1: Yeah. Daphne's wearing tights, though, so maybe, even though they're both long-sleeved dresses... Pretty much the same, like, mid-thigh length. Right. Maybe because Daphne's wearing tights and Crystal's gone bare leg. This is, uh, oh, well, this school obviously doesn't have a dress
0: code. (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of. Um, oh! Uh, Whirlin Merlin is played by James Patrick Stewart, who has played other attractive men in other shows. Um, Crystal is played by Crystal Scales. Uh, oh, she played Daisy on Static Shock. I remember Static Shock. Um, don't remember Daisy, I can assume who it would be. Interesting that she's playing someone with her own name. I'm guessing Pauldini maybe just had her in mind for the role.
1: Or the type of person that acts as a stage magician's assistant is just always going to be named <laughs> Crystal.
0: Crystal, <laughs> it, w- it worked. And? <laughs> Did you get down the lion's name? No. Well, I already said everything I wanted to. <laughs> just that the lion is not good friends with Scooby, even though I assume the lion was played by Frank Welker.
1: This lion is also just given free roam of this school filled with children.
0: <laughs> I loved the scene where we think that there is a griffin in the castle, but it's just the lion
1: walking around <laughs> with cockatoos yeah. on its back. Where did you get those cockatoos?
0: <laughs> Love this lion. <laughs> My favorite character. In this movie is Mar... Mar... Mar- Marlin Merlin. Thank you. <laughs> I I was so taken aback, I couldn't say his name. He's played by Brian uh, Posen, who you might not know his name, but you know his face, and you know his voice.
1: Oh, for sure you know his voice.
0: Yeah. He's hilarious, and I just smile every time he turns up in something I'm watching.
1: Yeah. He just seems like a legitimately nice guy. Yes. His big bushy beard, his his silly voice, how he's always delightfully defeated
0: sounding. Yeah, that's it. He's <laughs> defeated sounding. He's put upon, and he's given a role here that fits that completely. Marlon Merlin is Whirlin Merlin's. His first name can't be Whirlin. Is that his first, that's not a stage name? Is that his first name?
1: He goes by Whirlin Merlin. Whether it's a stage name or not, he goes by Whirlin, that's what
0: I've called him. His parents would be like, Whirlin Thomas Merlin, get in here!
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: Maybe, okay, well. uh, Anyway, Merlin Merlin, he's he's clearly, he's a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Um, He's
1: not good-looking, he can't be the face of the act. So he's the stagehand, he designs all the tricks, he also does all the cooking for this
0: school. <laughs> I wrote down here, just seems like a really nice guy. As we'll learn later, he might be hiding a thing or two. His dr- well, you know what? We'll we'll get into that.
1: The housekeeper is called Elma Rumpelbuns. She-
0: Okay, I wrote down Rumblebum.
1: <laughs> it's Rumblebuns.
0: That makes- more sense.
1: It doesn't. It's a terrible name. She's stern. She's, uh... She's clearly not in this for nonsense. Don't know why she's fucking working at a school of magic. It's gonna be full of nonsense.
0: Well, she was at this school before it was a school for the performing arts. And she actually wants it to return to an age of ancient magic.
1: She will let the lion roam freely, but not a house pet dog. She's against Scooby from the beginning. I think, you know what? She's she's probably heard about Scooby at this point. Well,
0: here's the other thing I think we can bring up. If there is a lion roaming around the halls, it's probably a bit of a hazard to have your- That's a hazard to your dog. Scooby can't wander alone because it's dangerous for Scooby. He could be attacked by a lion at any minute.
1: So could any of the
0: children.
1: What's your point?
0: Children- Humans are at least more cognitive. You're aware, ooh, that's a lion. I shouldn't go near it. And I was going to say it'll be more upsetting if a dog dies, but I guess if you're running a school, it'll be upsetting if a child dies as well.
1: You're also completely negating animal instinct. If the top of the food chain was never avoided by what it eats, Sea lions don't just go up to polar bears and try to befriend it because they have no cognitive ability. They know polar bears are bad.
0: Yes, but those are wild animals. I'm talking about, like, domesticated animals. Like, do- like dogs that we own? I don't think a lot of them have great instincts. I think a lot of them would go right up to a lion and be like, Hey, fuck you. <laughs> And the lion would be Well, maybe if
1: Scooby was a small, yappy-type dog. Yes. He would go up to this lion and, like we saw in the movie, try and introduce himself to be friends, because big dogs want to be your friend, small dogs want to eat your innards. Well, you know... Moving on! Yes, This was about the housekeeper, we're done with the housekeeper. (laughs) She
0: used to date Mr. Kirtles.
1: Mr. Kirtles is played by Jeffrey Tambor. He is an ice cream seller, a self-proclaimed Sherbert jockey. That is all. <laughs> He's made
0: to look very
1: goblin-like. He's got very pointy ears. It's a little
0: anti-Semitic,
1: but, uh, I... Are you pulling that just because Jeffrey Tambor is Jewish?
0: Jeffrey Tambor is Jewish, and I, then the, I feel like those those the goblin look is a bit of an anti-Semitic trait. There's not really anything in his personality that does that, though. So I th- I think it's it's just the, the animators wanting to make him look suspiciously evil cuz he is definitely set up as the potential villain. And we get we just dealt with a lot of goblins. <laughs> he he wants to buy this castle. Uh he claims that he wants to do it to make it Cone Castle HQ, you know, the headquarters for his ice cream empire. But but he just wants to buy it to impress Mrs. Rumblebum.
1: Rumblebuns. He's He he does it. He, I think he wants to give it to Elma. I think he wants to give it back to her.
0: Yeah, he has a lovely story of he used to sell ice cream here um, when she like was caretaker of the castle, and he just didn't think he was good enough for her that she would ever accept him. So he went off to make his fortune and buy the castle for her to be worthy of her.
1: And He made his fortune a while ago, but he self-admittedly just got caught up In the greed and the business. So he never came back for Alma until now.
0: Good for him for finally sorting out his priorities. I also got a good chuckle out of his line. He's trying to cover up why he's not worried about the griffin. And he's like, oh, I I don't really believe in uh, things I don't believe in. Made me chuckle.
1: That's a good line. It's a good setup for buying a haunted place. Well, I just don't believe in those things <laughs> you believe in, so it's fine. I'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if that's all the minor mentions, we can talk about the villain.
1: It's... Sad. Mrs.
0: Thelmer is the chemical creep.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> she? Uh, <laughs> no, we can, we can ignore the chemical creep in the villain category, since this podcast is already at an hour twenty.
1: We have two villains. We have the movie about eighty percent on a griffin and twenty percent on a banshee. Not entirely sure what the banshee really had to do with anything. Why the banshee couldn't just be the main villain because she was cooler? But
0: it 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 mean it was an Irish castle.
1: I don't believe griffins are Irish folklore.
0: If they are, it makes sense.
1: Griffins date back to, like, ancient Greece. Possibly before that. Well, maybe- I mean, Egyptians really loved mixing and matching animals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't... I just thought. Because they... they I, th- I thought this was how they did it.
1: <laughs> the griffin is
0: big. It is. It is, you know... A griffin, you know what griffins look like: the eagle, lion. Pop whatever parts you want on there. Um, it's the protector of the manor, according to ancient myth, and there is even like a the griffin's tower in this castle. Um, it, it has scared away the whole the whole class.
1: Yeah, the whole graduating class of 2009 stage magician <laughs> workshop weekend workshop. the banshee uh is a sexy purple lady until she's not sexy when she becomes terrifying his banshees do that
0: yeah this banshee though it's also definitely a hologram and we know this because at one point shaggy trips over a wire and it like flickers out and we'd just seen holograms a few scenes earlier, so it's completely telegraphed that the Banshee is fake. hmm
1: But then again, this is a Scooby-Doo movie, so everything's telegraphed to be <laughs> fake. The griffin is a giant puppet, because that's totally believable.
0: A, a giant puppet suspended from a blimp. And the blimp is hidden because it has... Uh, Glycerol in a fog machine. Now glycerol, as Dan Aykroyd will tell you, don't put it in vodka, but put it in a smoke machine and you can create a layer of fog.
1: Which I mean at this point, just put a Griffin costume on that blimp. That's the how they Puppet
0: That's how they would have done it back in the day.
1: Puppet is unnecessary and unbelievable. You telling me that you flew this puppet through the woods. And it didn't get tangled. I got a marionette for Christmas one year, and that bitch was tangled in like six hours. And I wasn't even treating it roughly.
0: They're they're very hard to manage. But I mean, admittedly, I feel I feel like Marlon Merlin is teaching classes on puppetry, so he'd he know how to do one of the grand scale. Oh, it's Marlon Merlin, by the way. Yes. It's it's Brian. Poor defeated Brian. <laughs>
1: He's tired of being behind the scenes. He wanted the... If he got his brother to sell the castle, they would go have on the money because they're like co-owners. And he needed that money to fund his stage act instead of just talking to his brother like an adult. Yeah, here's the thing. He's <laughs> says... saying maybe we could have a dual act.
0: He says he's always wanted to be a stage magician and it's clear he's never talked to his brother because the way his brother looks at him is is like I would do anything for you. I don't know why you didn't come to me. You didn't have to do this. Oh Marlin, I love you so much. You are my brother. He says that in a single look. And it's it's touching. It's great. And I I just have to say, Well, you know what? This is part of what we normally do. Feasibility. This is all completely explained. And feasible, there's, there's no supernatural things happening in this movie first time in a long time. Feasible of a
1: giant puppet controlled via blimp that's invisible because of a fog layer even being controlled by a stage magician. I, Puppets are an absolute no-go from me.
0: I think practical no, feasible yes, This they are, they have... Full-scale commercial (laughs) magic abilities. This is where you go for magic.
1: Feasible in the sense that the secondborn clearly has secondborn syndrome. Because the firstborn is obviously always the best child. Ahem.
0: (laughs) You know what? I'm the firstborn as well, so I will not argue with you. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) um <laughs> uh, well all right if, if we're, we differ on feasibility but what do you think of the terror scale
1: again the banshee was better than the griffin i prefer spirits to monsters but the griffin was large i'm gonna give the griffin a five for overarching experience of the movie in general mm-hmm. if i was just writing that as a monster that i might see flying through the sky <laughs>
0: being dragged.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, it's a five. I'll just say it's a okay, five. Okay, it's
0: a five. And, and where do you lay your banshee?
1: The banshee's just part of the experience. Okay. The, I don't see enough of the banshee to tell you anything about Um
0: her. I'm, I'm gonna give the griffin a pop. Griffin. I'm gonna give it a pop. Listeners, <laughs> dis- here you go. Oh, I can't even do it that time. That was a weaker pop. If that first pop was an eight, that <laughs> pop I just did was like a two. So I'll stand by my initial eight.
1: <laughs> I hope that pop sound that he made with his lips was picked up on the mic.
0: If it, if it wasn't, I I will beg you to just like go to YouTube and look up like a bubble popping. And we'll just... <laughs> we'll, we'll edit it in post. Do you have any other thoughts and feelings on this film? I do not. Um, I, I just wanted to shout out, there is a scene that we didn't really reference, uh, where Madeline took Shaggy over to an area of stone circles, with, like, like, ancient stones. What, what would you call those? Because it's kind of like a henge.
1: Well, it depends. I'd personally say standing stones. Mm. If they came from Ireland, I feel like standing stones have... A lot to do with Ireland. I could be pulling that from a fictional story I read once. But I also like the sound of standing stones. Henges, I think, are very specific. I don't think Stonehenge is even a henge. Okay. Maybe a monolith, you could call it.
0: I, I like standing stones. That has a good mythic quality to it. Um, Liked that scene very much. Find it funny that they brought the standing stones from Ireland. <laughs> Um, And then one note we didn't really mention, the music in this movie. It's all very fun. Very 60s throwback. Um,
1: The end credit song, uh, which might end up being the song that I use for the, like, our opening credits. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Anyways, I'm pretty sure they were sung by Frank Welker. Apparently uh, not, though. It's
0: performed by a band called Just for Laughs which I am unable to find any information on because of how many search results are just the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. Um, Listeners, if you know anything about the band Just for Laughs, please link me. Uh, Because I want to know. Because I thought every song in this movie sounded like it was sung by Frank Welker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what? You can let me know on Twitter. I can be found at thebilliseaguire Amelia is at Fatal Amelia, and we can be found selectively at Scooby underscore dues.
1: Selectively?
0: Just select Scooby underscore Deuce from the drop-down menu, and you can tweet at us to your heart's content.
1: Uh, you can also find us at other places on the internet. If you want to stream older episodes, you can find us on YouTube and Tumblr. We also have a Patreon and a coffee page, slash Kofi. Still Don't know how to say that. Website either one you can throw us a few dollars on. Billy is going to drop Shadow Demon any day now. I am. <laughs> I
0: have been I've been busy. I was I was sick a little bit. I had to go out and run some errands. I really only have 4 hours a week to work on it, which I didn't really realize. <laughs> I can't I can't go singing while you're home cuz you'll be like stop you, singing.
1: You make me sound like such an evil taskmaster <laughs> bitch. No,
0: you, all right, let me rephrase that. Um I've I've recorded numerous vocal tracks. I'm, I'm just editing together the ones that sound good. Maybe I'll pop on a, a preview online somewhat soon, just to show the listeners what I'm working with.
1: But only Patreon listeners. It's going to be a timed exclusive.
0: Yes. How much time? Time will tell.
1: Depends on how fast Billy does it.
0: But yeah, it depends on when it actually comes out. Listen, I my goal was end of September. It is Oct- uh, ooh, It is not that now. Amelia, what did you think of Scooby-Doo Abracadoo? But, but, <laughs> Abradoo, da. life goes on.
1: I think Abracadabra-Doo is a Scooby-Doo. It's an entertaining film. Not as problematic as we've seen recently with films. You know... Samurai sword. Ooh, (laughs) for being so modern, still very problematic. You know,
0: I I will say, pacing in this movie was fabulous. Pacing has been a long-standing problem in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. This one's great. I, as the start of a new reboot era, I might even be inclined to say Scooby-Doo absolutely. But if we average to just a strong Scooby-Doo, I'm happy with that.
1: Coming up next, finally, Mystery Incorporated. Season 1, Episode 1, Beware the Beast from Below. I've wanted this for the last three years, listeners.
0: I am so excited to get back to half-hour episodes. Because it feels like we reviewed four things since Get a Clue ended, and it has been ten weeks. It... It takes a long time to go through certain episodes. As you can probably tell, listeners, because this has been a long one. On that note. That's
1: it from Scooby Dooby B S. The
0: Scooby Dooby-oo! Or should I have said to Abracadabra-doo.
1: Bad title.